Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Sarah. Thank you so much, and um, welcome to the newcomers. Um, congratulations to everybody who took a chip or had a birthday, uh, and welcome to the visitor. And um, yeah, I'm Sarah. I am a profoundly grateful, uh, recovering, compulsive overeater, bulimic, and restrictor. Hi, everybody. Um, I want to just start by, um, you know, when I came into these rooms uh, almost eight years ago, I didn't have a higher power except maybe food and my body size and what you thought of me and what I thought you thought of me. Those were my higher power. Um, but an actual higher power I really didn't have. Um, I was, or I was my own higher power. And so when I came in and heard people talking about God and, you know, it's right there in the steps, it kind of freaked me out. So I want to say for anybody in this room or who's listening, um, for me, some of the best acronyms for God are good orderly direction. Like I don't have to believe in some bearded guy in the sky in order to believe that my head in a toilet is bad direction and getting my head out of that toilet is probably good orderly direction. Um, I also had the gift of desperation. That's one of my favorite acronyms for God. Um, It continues to serve me to this day um, because I'm really grateful for the recovery I found in OA and um, I can't do this alone. Every morning I wake up still thinking I'm my own God. And so if I don't pause and do certain things to remind me that good orderly direction is not starving all day and then, you know, figuring out some way to like cram in a zillion calories before I go to bed and then, you know, feel like the world is against me and everything's bad. Like that way of living doesn't really work. And so, um, yeah, I guess I wanted to start by thinking and talking about God and then just actually pausing to bring God in. Because for me, God is easy. I was told one time that the only place I can access God is in the present moment. So I just want to take a present moment and breathe, which I don't do much of the time. (sighs) And say that, yeah, OA has really brought a power greater than myself into my life. Um, And that is what I'm taught this program is about. So I'll sort of say what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. But I'm probably going to be all over the place. And today I can accept that. This is not going to be a perfect share. I'm going to do the best I can. Um, So in my... Eight years, when I arrived, before I arrived in these rooms, I'll just say, you know, I come from a family filled with dysfunction, um, and that was also very uh, high achieving on the outside. Everything on paper looked amazing, um, and so I learned very early on that keeping up appearances was super important, and don't talk, don't trust, don't feel, just look good. Um, that was the important thing, and if you're having a feeling, get something and put it in your mouth. Eat something. Um, you know, we don't do feelings here. We don't, I didn't have a self per se. Um, I really was there um, to not only be my own God, but I sort of felt like I was everybody else's God. It sort of felt like I was raising my parents and taking care of my, my family. I come from, um, I'm an adult child of dysfunction and alcoholism and all of the many isms. And I sometimes think today that 
dysfunctional family is redundant. <laughs> like I, I, I really haven't met a lot of families that are functional. So, um, But I do know that it doesn't matter why I became a compulsive eater and bulimic and restrictor. Um, I've met people in these rooms who came from, you know, those mythical unicorn families or not mythical, but, you know, families that I'm like, that's not a thing. You can't come from a family where everybody was happy and felt good. But they did, and they still, for some reason, needed to eat or starve or, you know, binge and purge or whatever that is. So when I arrive here, I'm taught that it doesn't really matter why I have this disease, that if I think I, you know, it doesn't even matter if I think I have the problem. If I go to a meeting and I hear somebody speak and the solution sounds like it might fit, then it doesn't matter whether I think I have the problem. Just keep coming back to that place where there's a solution available. So that's what I did. I was told to, um, you know, come to OA when I was in another fellowship. And during the time after the meeting, when everyone else was like, you know, eating moderately, I was just inhaling everything in sight. And one fellow in that fellowship took me aside and said, are you, do you know about OA? Um, so, uh, and I can tell you that I, all my life, I don't come from big numbers. I have probably about a 30 pound weight swing. Um, I've been probably about 30 pounds heavier than I am now and 20 pounds lighter. And there's a voice in my head that tells me I should still be striving to get down to a size two at, you know, my height and bone structure. And thank God this program teaches me um, that that's the disease. Um, I am in a body that I'm supposed to be in because I, you know, to the best of my ability, I, for almost eight years, I haven't vomited, thank God. I haven't been exercise bulimic and I haven't um, I haven't binged. I will say when I first came into these rooms, um, I was, you know, the program says wear your abstinence like a loose garment, like, you know, really try to have a life um, that ha try to have a sustainable abstinence. Like I, I basically wanted to I was saying this to someone earlier, I wore my abstinence like Spanx. Like, I just wanted to be totally compressed and controlled and, you know, like, I need this to work for me. I, basically, I need to... I need to be spiritual, but skinny. Like, where's the skinny part? I need the skinny. I need the skinny. And, of course, all that did was make me eat like a crazy person. So my abstinence has evolved. But when I first went into the program, I want to say that I learned wonderful things from the sponsors who taught me, if you eat a raisin that, is, that you haven't turned over to me, it's day one. And I lived like that for a while. And um, it, it wasn't fun. But it, I learned – I did learn what I needed to learn. And, uh, again, all over the place. But I'll just go back and say – that I, I came into these rooms um, after a lifetime of compulsive eating that didn't show up on my body but very much robbed me of childhood. You know, if I again, if I had a feeling, I just needed to escape it. And that meant food, that meant exercise, that meant a lot of compare and despair with how other people looked. Um, I was really obsessed with appearance from a very young age and eventually learned that I have body dysmorphic disorder, which is a real thing, unfortunately. Um, but... You know, I learned to, um, basically, when I had a feeling, it immediately translated into, I'm fat, I'm ugly. Um, that was what would happen. So I, I never felt sad or angry or, you know, resentful. I just felt fat or, you know, I need to get to the gym. And so there was this automatic conversion factory in my head. Literally, from the time I was little, I can remember feeling sad for a second and then thinking, you know, I can't wait to, like, go eat this food item. That was how it worked. So, um, yeah, when I came into these rooms, I was taught 
that that wasn't normal. And all my life, I just thought, you you know, you eat for sport or you eat for fun or you restrict your food because that's what the magazine tells me to do. Like, I thought these were normal behaviors. And it never occurred to me that the way I was living was actually a way of not having to feel anything. Um, and that when I cut off the feelings that bother me, like if I'm feeling sad and I learn to just eat a bowl of ice cream, I didn't realize that, you know, numbing myself out works in both directions. So I can't feel the sadness, but I also can't feel joy. And I really learned to have like a spigot almost like a, you know, there was like a dial on my feelings and by using food and I also used other things, but food was really my core and it was my first, um, addiction. Um, you know, I learned how to stop being human. I had no needs that, you know, food or exercise couldn't meet. I got married, and I swear to you, (laughs) the day I got married, I was thinking about my weight and what I was going to eat. I I was not thinking about this other human being. I was not thinking about a lifelong commitment to this person. I truly was like, I wonder if the restaurant, oh, I wonder if, you know, like I was just in my head, like unable to think about anything but food or my body, which is to say I was in, you know, self-centeredness and self-centered fear. But I learned also in these rooms that that doesn't make me a bad person. It makes me a person who has a seat in OA. So um, when I came in, uh, I did, you know, immediately find a sponsor. Um, I did have that gift of desperation. I just wanted to stop hurting myself with food. Um, and t- the, the crazy thing about it was I would hurt, I was hurting myself, but I would tell myself it was a treat. <laughs> like, I can't wait to treat myself. And it was like, really? Like, literally half an hour ago, we were like crying, trying not to eat. And now, half hour later, it's going to be fun. Like, that just, you know, that... Um, that amazing, peculiar mental twist, as they say in our literature, um, it was, it's truly cunning, baffling, and powerful. So I guess what I want to say is if you're new, if you're listening to this, and nothing I'm saying makes sense, really, um, the, thing, the first things I needed to hear were if you don't like the way you feel around your behavior with food or body or exercise, if you feel out of control, if it feels like you're you know, powerless over this thing, I'm sorry to tell you this, but it, that's the good news. You figured that out. And as long as you know there's a problem, you're better off than somebody who's just, you know, barreling through boxes and bags of stuff and doesn't even know it's a problem. So once I got to OA and people said, oh, you're miserable and you found your way here, congratulations. I was like, thanks. This is great. I'm, you know. But it did help that there were people in the room who said things like, I've lost 100 pounds or I have sanity and serenity today. Um, you know, I don't stand by the food table in my other fellowship, like waiting for the, you know, the share to be over so I can go over and like eat as much of the stuff that's there as possible. And I was like, oh, there is a solution. And when I was told what some people were doing to get it, I was willing to go to any length. And so in the beginning, what that meant was I stopped doing things my way. I just did whatever my sponsor suggested to me. And um, again, I mentioned God in the beginning. I really had to use the group as my higher power. Um, And I mentioned getting married. You know, like I lived my life. I had big, momentous things happen. But there was no higher power. There was just this impending sense of doom. It was like, this is, this is still not going to be the thing. I need this thing, but it's still not going to be enough, and I'm going to need to go eat. And then I'm going to need to go ma- run a marathon. Like, my life was just, you know, a treadmill of, of craziness um, that was, again, about food and my body. So um, when I came in and didn't have a God, I at least, somebody said to me, like, you have in- intuition. 
Like, you don't have to believe in anything. You don't have to have a God or a this or a that. What if your higher power is just that little voice? And I remember there was a little voice inside me that said, don't get married. And I ignored that voice. There is always a little voice inside that's like, you know, we've run 10 miles. This is enough. And I ignored that voice. Um, so that little voice of intuition that says, hey, you know, um, maybe we don't need to order a second pizza while, like, yelling <laughs> over the phone, like, pretending there are other people in the house. Like, how much do you guys want? You know, like, maybe that's, that's not real. And that's, you know, and, um, like, that voice had always been there. And so in the beginning, everybody has that voice, apparently. Um, but I had been taught to override that voice for so long because it was the same voice that had always said, you're loved, you're lovable, I'm here for you, when I was a little girl and I felt un safe and unloved and uncared for. And so OA has really sort of raised me um, and helped me reparent myself so that that little voice of intuition has grown and grown until I now have a voice that's a power greater than myself that when I hear it say, you know, um, this, we're fixated on what we're going to eat at this event. Maybe instead we can focus on the people. And I can actually listen to that, and then I can make a plan, and I and I have people and fellow like fellows and tools that help me do the core of the work, which is the steps. And I've been taught that in OA, we you know we come to meetings to feel better, we listen to these podcasts, or we you know use these tools to feel better. We work the steps to actually get better, to heal. And I've worked the twelve steps in this program. Um, it, totally changed my life to look at all of the stuff that was underneath the eating, the pain. That's really what was there, is that I didn't want to feel anything. And so when I came in here, people said, hey, we know it really hurts to feel this stuff. But one analogy that I love is every time I eat, it's like walking through one door that I've always walked through that's a revolving door of suffering. And it's like, I eat the thing, I feel, you know, crappy that I ate the thing, then I go, you know, try to burn the thing off at the gym, then I do it again the next day. It's a revolving door that never ends. And it's painful. Like, it's, I'm totally deluding myself if I'm saying, oh, this works for me. Like, it, you know, it says somewhere in our literature, I think it's in the big book, like, if you, you know, if you're wondering whether you have this problem, go to your, you know, grocery store and see if you can do some controlled binge eating. Like, try that out and see how it works for you. If it works for you, then you don't need to be here. But I was very clear that that revolving door was truly robbing me of, of my life. And so when I got here, the message was you can take that revolving door again or you can walk through this one-time door of pain. It's going to hurt to, like, look at the thing that's bothering you, to feel the grief about your divorce, to, you know, feel the regret that you made this mistake and you feel like a terrible person. Feel that. Use the steps and the tools and the fellowship to help you feel what's there, and you will have crossed over. You will actually get yourself out of that revolving door. And every time you can walk through that one-time door of pain, it's going to suck either way. Either you're going to be in the pain that's the revolving door, or you're going to go through the one-time pain. Which one do you want? Use the one that's going to heal you. So that's what I was taught. And now I do the best I can to choose the one-time door of pain. And then I grow, and then there's another freaking door with more pain and more growth. And the great news is there is life in between. My life has expanded in a crazy way since I came into this program, and it's wonderful. And at times, it's excruciating. Like, it, I, I am now capable of feeling a level of joy that wasn't available to me before I came into these rooms. And I'm also capable of feeling a level of pain that wasn't available to me. And I'm not...
saying that to anybody to scare you away. Um, the great news is, in my experience, the program grows me at exactly the right pace. I didn't get slammed with, you know, like impossible to tolerate pain when I first walked in the door. Like there, I really believe that everybody's higher power is giving them whatever they need at any given time. And even if, you know, for my friends who are atheists or agnostics, that higher power might just be the group that lifts you up and surrounds you. And I'll just share that, you know, this program is portable. It, it never fails me. And it, it's kind of amazing that no matter where I've gone in my travels and in my life, OA has been there in one way, shape, or form. There's, a, there's always literature. There's something online. There's a phone meeting. There's a podcast. There's, I have fellows all over this world. Like, I've literally been on, oh, my God. Yeah, I've been to OA meetings on four continents. Uh, yeah, and, you know, you walk in, and the people have different accents, but the disease is the same. And, like, I've been rescued from, you know, the same travels where I used to just eat my way through France or eat my way through, you know, wherever. Instead, I go to a meeting. And it has really changed my life also to not only receive the generosity of sponsors and fellows who have walked this path before me, they've taught me to stay connected and that, when I try to do this alone, that's when I'm screwed. So I just want to say, like, you know, I've been taught that this is a we program, and somebody said this great thing that, um, yeah, the thing about we is, like, wellness begins with a we, and illness begins with an I. <laughs> and, like, when I'm in that place of, like, I can do it. I don't want to show anybody my pain. I don't want to, like, you know, like it's, it's fear, you know, fear and pride and all of those things that get in my way. Um, OA helps me to very patiently because I don't work this perfectly. I, you know, my abstinence is no binging, no purging. That doesn't mean that, you know, when things get really rough, I, if a raisin happens, it's not day one. Like, you know, and that's important for me because the perfectionism that I come from in my life would use the tools of this program against me to keep me from, you know, developing, um, into the person I want to be, which is not a rigid, trapped person who feels like she's in a prison and also not someone who has, you know, um, kind of a totally unmanageable life. Okay, so I guess I want to just um, – this is really difficult, you guys. Um, vulnerability is hard for me, um, and so I've learned in OA to talk about my feelings, um, to, again, work the steps. Um, I work – a an inventory, um, like a fourth step inventory when I'm upset and I can always find my part in something, even if it's just, I'm letting this take up my whole day. I'm making this problem bigger than God. I'm, you know, making this person's opinion more important than my own opinion or God's opinion. Um, and it really does help me to see like when I keep my side of the street clean, when I am really honest with myself, um, my, my recovery kind of takes care of me. And I guess one of the things about this program that I've found so miraculous is, and I know this is going to sound weird or airy-fairy or whatever, but there's a magic to OA that I don't understand. When people say, like, you mean you just go to meetings and you listen to people, like, talk and somehow you don't eat? That doesn't make any sense. It's not that. It really is that when all of us get together in a room or when I'm listening to somebody else who has this problem that I've had all my life and that I thought I was going to go to my grave so ashamed of the things I've done with food, the like, you know, I remember my ex-husband like throwing something out and I was like, 
And he was like, did you get that out of the trash? And I was like, it was still in the plastic. It was fine. Like, I was a perfectly, I was mad at him. You're wasting, like, an amazing burger. Like, I, you know, that was my mentality. And, um, like, to, to know that you all laugh instead of being like, wow. You know, like, I feel here a kind of safety that I'm not being judged. It's safe to be a compulsive, overeating, you know, imperfect human being who's in recovery. And, like, no matter what I've done, somebody else has done it. And, you know, this is not a place where I'm a bad person who needs to become good. I'm a person with a disease who just needs to take the medicine. So for me, that's daily. Um, in the beginning, I, I was instructed to go to at least five face-to-face meetings a week, and that did serve me. And I made three phone calls a day, um, I, even if I was like, hi, this is awkward. Um, I don't even remember who you are. I got your name off the week here. Hope you're having a great day. You know, um, I just was taught to stick to my plan of eating no matter what. The, there was that raisin problem. Problem of like, day one, day one, day one. But, you know, eventually I learned that when I put down the food, that's when I can feel the feelings that are in my way. And so when my sponsor would say, you know, hey, you went off your plan and, you know, start over, but most importantly, do the writing. What came up before you reached for that thing? And usually it was people. People is what, you know, my people problem, my fear of people, that was underneath my food. When somebody is like, hi, you know, thanks for coming to our party. You must try this. I was like, well, they said I must. You know, I didn't know how to say, oh, no, thank you. Actually, I was too awkward. It was too like, oh, I don't want to upset other people. You know, my whole life was like, I'm going to put everyone else first or what I think everyone else needs first. And the food behaviors were an emblem of that. So OA really helps me grow up. It helps me, you know, learn to take care of myself. It helps me learn how to get outside myself and be of service to someone else. The body image thing has been a huge problem, and I've been taught that um, the antidote to body image issues is service, gratitude list. And, oh, there's one other thing. I clearly haven't been working it, but I've been working my gratitude list on my service. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, – <laughs> um, I guess what I'll say is um, it's, you know, prayer and self-forgetting. Like the idea that when I'm focused on the size of my thigh – I am not thinking about how I can help another person. And so I get to pray, God, please help me remember that, you know, whether I'm thin or fat is actually not the most important thing in the world right now. And if you can help me get out of the house, help me get out of this mirror, there have been times when all I can do in a day is say repeated affirmations, which I love doing. I've had a lot of OA fellows share their affirmations with me. Um, and at first I was like, affirmations, it's the lamest thing I've ever heard. And then someone said, well, you're already saying affirmations. You're saying I'm a piece of crap. You're saying I'm fat. You're saying I suck. You're saying these things all day to yourself without realizing it. So if you're going to affirm something, why not affirm I'm lovable, I'm enough, you know, it doesn't matter what I weigh. I weigh God pounds. I am God-sized. I am God-shaped. That's it. And I, I don't get on a scale today um, unless the doctor needs to weigh me, and I usually get weighed backwards. Um so that I'm not looking at that because I am not the size in my, you know, the tag in my clothes. I'm not the number on the scale. And I'm not what I look like. And as much as my mind will try to feed me that message, the tools and steps of OA help counter that. So I guess what I was taught really is that this is a program that teaches us how to find our higher power and then let that higher power do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That's all it is. The steps are like a roadmap to get to your higher power. 
So I really encourage everybody to focus on that as much as possible. I want to add myself. I really encourage myself to focus on my higher power as much as possible. And I guess I don't, this is a crazy amount of time. I usually share for three minutes. This is really weird. Um, but what I want to say is that there are some practical things and tools and slogans. I'm a slogan, like if I came in here a food addict, I'm now a slogan addict. Like, you know, when in doubt, don't. Um, you know, we'd be amazed what people think of us, what, what people really think of us if we knew how seldom they do. Like, I always think people are thinking about, did they see me do this, did they? No, like let that go. It's not even real. Um, you know, let go and let God, like all of those basic, like just these things that sound so simple, but really they just shift my thinking, get me out of my head. Um, you know, I, they, I love the saying, I can't. Think my way into right acting, but I can act my way into right thinking. And that's so true for me. All I have to have is one thought, like brownie, and I'm like, I can't come back. Like, I'm gone. But if I get up off the couch, make a phone call to somebody, and walk around the block, the brownie is gone. I've helped somebody else. And, you know, it, it's, it's a miracle. It, and it's tiny, but it's really significant. So that's what I would say. I feel like that's got to be out of power. Oh, thank God. Okay. So um, I guess I also want to say if anybody's new, I've heard the only way to not work this program well is to, is to not come back. So just keep coming back. Um, and I've heard that it doesn't matter how long it takes to get the solution. Like, just keep coming back. Just don't quit five minutes before the miracle and don't quit five minutes after the miracle. And thanks for letting me share. And I would love to take questions. Yes. So the question is, do I have a morning routine and what does that look like? And I will say that um, I've had different kinds of morning routines over my years in this program. One has included waking up first thing, getting on my knees, even though I you know, didn't believe in that, just get on my knees anyway, say the first three steps out loud. Um, and then say a couple of different prayers. I usually like the third step prayer, uh, the seventh step prayer. And this was even before I worked any steps. Like I had um, sponsors that said, you can work step 11. You know, the first day you walk in, you're working step 11 when you say the serenity prayer and hold hands. So um, prayer, first thing in the morning, meditation, a half hour of meditation. I remember reading in one of our books, you know, like do a half hour of meditation every morning unless you're really busy, in which case try for an hour. Um, and that sounds silly and weird and impossible, but the few times I've managed to double my meditation time when I feel too busy to do it at all, it has revolutionized my day. So I'm probably saying that now because I haven't done it in a long time and I need to hear it myself. Um, and I guess also I like to take sponsee calls in the morning and I used to talk to my sponsor in the morning just to sort of like set my day right, but also um, my sponsor and others have recommended uh, over many years, reading pages 86 through 88 in the big book, even if it feels like you've memorized it, something new will jump out. Um, and, yeah, that's one routine that's really served me. I will say, because of my perfectionism, recently my morning routine, and I don't recommend this for newcomers necessarily, but I've needed to sleep in to give myself permission and find gentleness around my program and let go of, like, if I just keep whipping myself to death, I'll finally get it. No, this is a one day at a time you know, reprieve, and like they say, the disease wakes up a half hour before I do every day, um, and so I have to come back with, like, um, just whatever is the most loving, most gentle, most kind choice I can make in that moment. Yeah. 
So my abstinence, when I, well, what was my abstinence like what I, when I started and what's it like now? Um, my abstinence in the beginning was three weighed and measured meals um, and uh, two snacks. I turned over every bite before I ate it. Like I turned over my entire uh, food plan for the day before eating anything. And if I was going to change anything, I turned that over. I texted that to my sponsor. In the beginning, that was what I needed. Um, it was structure, and when I when I deviated from it, there were feelings that I was able to write down, and that really helped me get underneath, like, oh, if I was at a restaurant, everyone else was having, like, the sexy special, and I had gone on the website the night before and looked up, like, what's the meal I'm going to have? Well, you can probably get a chicken breast and, you know, like, some rice and a salad anywhere at any restaurant. So I was turning that over a lot so that I could have a life and go out. Um, and I'll also say in the very beginning, I didn't even go out. Like, I was just kind of like, how do I not vomit today? Like, how do I not hurt myself today? So it gradually evolved. Um, and eventually it was three meals a day um, with two snacks. And now I commit my food when I need that structure. Like right now I need to be doing that. I'm just going through a really challenging time. And when I don't do that, I get into some trouble. It can be a little bumpy and rocky when I don't have that accountability and support. When things aren't as challenging, I turn over what I ate that day at the end of the night with a tenth step. Then usually that helps me see, like, oh, look, lunch got kind of funky. Oh, I had a phone call I didn't like with, some, you know, somebody at work, and it's really helpful. hope that answers the question. Okay. Thank you. Can you talk about your experience with the steps and uh, kind of which ones were the most transformational for you? Thanks. What was my experience with the steps and what was most transformational? I guess I would say... Um, one, two, and three, because, I, you know, we never graduate from step one. That's what I was taught. Like, every day I wake up powerless over this thing, and it's only when I let a power greater than myself help me that I go, oh, right, maybe we should get to a meeting instead of, like, you know, being on Instagram for three hours. <laughs> um, so one, two, and three were huge in the beginning because it was such a radical concept to, like, not do it my way. It was like, what do you mean? Yeah, I remember telling my sponsor, oh, I don't eat that. And she was like, okay, how's that working out for you? I'm like, oh. Because I'm like, I don't eat carbs. She's like, um, you just told me you ate both the donuts. <laughs> you know? But, like, so learning in one, two, and three that that actually means admitting that my way doesn't work, that lovely shortened thing, I can't, God can, I think I'll let God. Um, and then step 11, always so helpful. It's amazing. I've actually talked about this, these little tricks that I have in public. Like, I'll put my hands on my knees physically. Like, I'll just kind of put my hand on my knee if I'm in a public situation and can't pray but need prayer. Just to remind me, I'm on my knees. I'm here, God. I'm with you. I know there's cameras or whatever is happening, but I'm here with you. Um, so little ways of staying in prayer in step 11. Um, and I think I'll repeat step 11 again because it's, we talk about it, you know, with the first part of that step a lot, like, you know, stop through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God um, as we understood God. But the second part, praying only for knowledge of God's will for us and the power to carry that out. I really don't do that as often as I think I do. So that's been a big evolving step for me. Like, what does it look like to not be like, hey, God, listen, um, I've worked it out, and this is what I need you to do for me. But instead to be like, hey, your will, not mine. I'm really praying only for knowledge of your will for me. And then I guess, I mean, I, not I guess, step six and seven where I ask, you know, where I become entirely ready for this 
stuff that's in my way to be lifted away and then humbly ask, which doesn't mean, hey, TikTok, like, I'm really done with this, like, obnoxious habit that I have. Could you please remove it so I can look more perfect? Like, that's not how it works. And so six and seven are an ongoing. Um, I feel like I never graduate from those either. And step nine, because, you know, there's nothing like looking somebody in the face and saying, hey, I stole food from you and I'm really sorry. And then having that person burst into tears and say, thank you so much. This really means a lot to me. I stole such and such from you. You know, like, it's incredible. True. Um, but it's incredible to get rid of all of the stuff that I think I'm hiding in the closet that's really coming out sideways in my behavior. Yeah. Okay. Okay. How often do you, first of all, thank you for your share is amazing. I related to everything. I, I felt like I was you or me speaking, but future me. <laughs> um, what, how regular do you go to meetings now, and how, does that fluctuate depending on work, life, personal, you know, finding that one of the challenging things for me? Yes. Um, so how often do I get to meetings and how does it fluctuate? Again, I feel like I'm in this evolving, you know, time in my life in OA where um, there's some weeks where I'm able to get to three face-to-face meetings in a week. I was just doing something with my work that, you know, I was so exhausted and it just felt impossible. And yet when I would get actually to this very room in between these hard things I was doing, I would be replenished. So I try to... I heard this, uh, one of my slogans, I love them so much. Um, if I'm thinking about going to a meeting, probably better to go first and think about it after. <laughs> that said, I also know that, you know, after many years in program, sometimes what I need is to take a, a bath or to take a nap. And I, I've, I've sometimes, you know, used too many meetings kind of against myself, but it took me a long time. So I would say if you're new... Look, this is what I was taught. The disease is operating in my head 24 hours a day. That one hour in the chair is, you know, helping to counter at least one hour of insanity with food. So if I can get there for five hours, that gives me a fighting chance to, like, really build the foundation I need. And then I feel like I do bank it. Like, there's a spiritual solution in me that is portable and I take everywhere. But I can't go very long without, you know, consistent attendance at meetings. So, yeah. I also related to that, so I appreciate it. You're awesome. Um, so you said you were in another program, and with the food in that area, how did you deal with that? Yeah, so um, the question is, you know, being in other programs, I'm actually in multiple other programs, and what do I do when there's food in the environment? And, you know, it says in the big book that we will be able to recoil from, you know, our substance as if from a hot flame. And I can't do that on my own. I'm not recoiling from food by myself. Like, that's not going to happen. So my cultivation of a practice you know, I had to text people before the meeting. I would have to go sit with the other people who I knew were double winners in this fellowship and say, hey, I'm, that's really calling to me. Would you help me? I sometimes had to leave early to make sure I didn't eat that thing. Like in the very beginning, especially while I'm building that faith muscle and letting God come in and help me not do these things, um, you know, there were some meetings I couldn't attend because they were like, 
cake. And I was like, oh, my God, this is like a real cake focus. And I just need to pick a different meeting for, for a month, you know. And, like, nothing's permanent. Nothing, you know, I've, things have really evolved. My abstinence has evolved. My ability to 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 basically see that in that person's hand it's a treat, but in my hand it's more like a crack vial, and I don't want that. You know what I mean? Just to, to understand that for me, some things that for the normal eater are perfectly fine, in my hands they're poison, and just reminding myself of that. Yeah. Thank you.